We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson We're going to be looking at Galatians 2.20, the passage that we read together as we think about Christ living in us, and I guess we might begin tonight by asking the question, can people see Christ living in you? When Paul made these remarks, I think about everything that he had been through, not only as a Jew, but then after his conversion. And the persecutor became the persecuted. And in looking at his life, and as I think about his great example. In my mind, the Apostle Paul was a walking billboard for Jesus Christ. Wherever he went, those who were around him knew there was a Savior. They knew something about Christ. And so I want to ask the question, can people see Christ living in you? A question that all of us ought to ask ourselves from time to time. As we go about our daily affairs in life, as we intermingle with people, we want people to be able to see Christ living in us, as Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I want to begin tonight by, first of all, talking about our words. Can people see Christ living in me through my words, by what I say? I want to begin this point by saying that Our words have something to say about who we are in life. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus makes this observation. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In that same context, he said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure, evil things. So when people listen to you on a daily basis, what are they hearing? When people are in a conversation with you at school, at work, community, what are they hearing? Our words have something to say about who we are in life. I think about Jesus. It was said of him, no man ever spoke like this man. Now there's some reasons for that, but it ought to be the case that our speech sets us apart from a lot of folks in the world. It ought to say something about who we are. I would also suggest that our words, our speech, says something about whose we are. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, there's no doubt Paul viewed himself as someone who belonged to God. Not only did he realize he belonged to God, but he believed that others who were a part of the body of Christ, they too belonged to God. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, Paul said, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have from God. He said, You are not your own, you were bought with a price. 
Therefore, he said, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All he's saying there is that those of us that have been baptized into Christ, and when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he identified them as people that had been sanctified in Christ Jesus. They had been set apart from a world of darkness unto Christ. And he said they were called to be saints. And so literally, they belong to God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter said that we are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So we belong to him. So first of all, we have to recognize that we belong to God. And then secondly, in this same point, in this same context, that we are to behave like God. The Bible tells us that Christ has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. If Jesus is the great example, and he is, and he was spotless in word and deed, then what does that say to us? It says that we have a tremendous example before us. The bar's been set high, and we're called upon to try to live above the world recognizing that we belong to God and that everything that we do and say ought to bring honor and glory to God. So we behave like God. After all, we belong to Him. He wants us to live God-like in our character. When people took note of the, li of the life of the Apostle Paul, don't you, don't you just imagine that those who came in contact with him, whether on the street, in prison, wherever, don't you know they came away with the impression, this guy, this guy belongs to God. This guy is all about the Lord. As a matter of fact, his life was captivated by the Lord. When he wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, he said, for Christ who is our life. Jesus was his model, wasn't he? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul could say, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So Paul is trying to walk in the footsteps of Christ, and he's saying to those who were living in the first century, look, you follow my lead insofar as I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus. There's a second thing I want to share with you. We talk about modeling Christ in our lives, and Christ living in us, not just through our words, but what about in our works? Can people see Christ living in me through my works? Now, when you think about Jesus, there are a lot of different terms that could be used to describe his life. One of the greatest characteristics that I can think of about Jesus is servanthood. He came to serve, didn't he? You remember in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28? He said, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for the many. In John chapter 13, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he pointed out to them that the servant is not above his Lord. Here's Jesus engaging in this menial task of hospitality. He's trying to show them that discipleship is about servanthood. I think about the apostles, the disciples, and one of the things that they were doing, they were jockeying about trying to find out or trying to determine who was the greatest among them. 
And Jesus said the pathway to greatness in the kingdom of God is service. So how did Jesus serve people? You ever thought about that? When you look at his ministry, there are a number of areas that Jesus there are a number of areas that Jesus served people. First, I think about how the Lord ministered to people physically speaking. In Mark chapter 1, we read about a leper. And lepers were described in the Old Testament as unclean. They were quarantined. No one wanted to be around them, and they weren't to be around anyone. And so here's a leper. He comes to Jesus, and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion, acknowledging that he was willing, and the Bible says he put forth his hand and touched him and cleansed him. The Lord was compassionate toward people. There were any number of people that you can, there are any number of people you can read about in the New Testament that had various forms of illnesses. Some were diseased. Some were without sight. Some couldn't hear. And Jesus ministered to those people. He ministered to their needs physically and also materially, didn't he? You remember in John chapter 6 when Jesus took a few barley loaves and two small fish and fed 5,000 people? In Mark chapter 8, the multitudes are present with Jesus. And the Bible says in verse 2 of chapter 8, the Lord said, I have compassion on the multitude. He said, they've been with me three days and have nothing to eat. He said, if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they'll faint on the way. Because some have come from afar. And so Jesus fed those people. Now, how does that relate to me as a Christian? I have the same opportunity to minister to serve the needs of others. There are some that are sick physically. There are some that are less fortunate and we have the opportunity to help them, don't we? One of the means of evangelism is benevolence, reaching out to other people. In Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus talks about that great and final day of judgment, when he identified himself as the Son of Man sitting upon the throne of his glory, he said all the nations would be brought before him and then he would begin to separate them as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. To those on the right hand, he would say, I was hungry. And what did you do? He said, you gave me something to eat. He said, I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was naked. You clothed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was sick and in prison and you came unto me. Christianity is about serving the needs of other people. Jesus demonstrated that in his life, didn't he? He helped people physically. He helped people materially. And I think you can see in the life of Jesus him reaching out and helping those emotionally. For example, in John chapter 11, I know that Jesus used the raising of Lazarus from the dead as a tremendous sign affirming his deity before other people. 
But if you read John chapter 11 and you think about Mary and Martha, and they were friends of Jesus along with Lazarus, when they saw Jesus coming, they said to him, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. But in John chapter 11 and verse 35, the Bible tells us that Jesus wept, didn't it? Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus to raise him from the dead. But I see a merciful and compassionate servant interested in the plight of people and the hurts that they experienced here on planet Earth. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, that we are to weep with those that weep, rejoice with those that rejoice. And so when we talk about Christ living in me, Christ living in you, one thing we ought to be is servants. We ought to serve the needs of people. Someone has said in days gone by that people really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think one of the great attributes of this church is it's comprised of people that care. And there are lots of folks, a lot of you, that have reached out and ministered to other people. You've helped other people. You've served them. You've served people when they have been hurting physically. Sometimes you've reached out and helped people who were suffering materially. And then there are those that have suffered emotionally. And you've been there for them. Let me tell you what, that makes a tremendous statement. Many of you have probably heard like I. Of people outside the church that have seen tragedies befall those of us who are part of the body of Christ and those outside the church expressing their sentiments for how awesome this church is in helping others and being there for those in times of loss and hurt. That's what Christianity is all about, isn't it? So we talk about being a servant. And then I think about Jesus serving the needs of people spiritually. One of the great attributes of Jesus, he was interested, he was interested in people physically, materially, emotionally, but most of all spiritually. Again, think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20. The Son of Man did not come to minister, or did not come to be ministered unto, but to minister, to give his life as a ransom for the many. You remember in Philippians chapter 2, when Paul said, Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, counted not being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, yes, even the death of the cross. Jesus came to serve us, didn't he? To serve us how? Spiritually. The whole scheme of redemption rested on the shoulders of God's only Son. And Jesus was willing to rise up and fulfill that calling. Jesus would say on one occasion, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who has sent me. So Jesus came to serve people. In Luke 19.10, the Bible says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. In Matthew chapter 9, we read about Jesus in the home of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And there were a lot of folks that didn't like the idea of Jesus associating with what they called tax collectors and sinners. 
And Jesus pointed out that those who are well, those who are whole, they don't have need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus is the great physician. He came for the purpose of helping those who are lost and dying in sin. So, as a servant, we talk about Christ living in us. Can people see Christ living in us? What about when it comes to reaching out to those who are lost and dying in a world of sin? Are we interested in the lost? Think again about the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 1, he talks about how his chains are in Christ. Can you imagine a Roman soldier chained to the Apostle Paul 24-7? And they're rotating these guards in every four to six hours. They're rotating in, they're rotating out. Every guard that sat with the Apostle Paul, every guard who watched out for him, what do you think they heard? What do you think they talked about? I suspect they talked a lot about the Lord, don't you? Why? Because that was the most innate need that they had at that time. Do we have physical needs? Yes. Do we have material needs? Absolutely. Are there emotional needs that all of us have from time to time? Yes, we do. But most importantly, we have spiritual needs. And so, if Christ is living in us, then what we want to do is be interested in the souls of people. In John chapter 4, when Jesus came into contact with that woman from Samaria at Jacob's well, he spent a lot of time talking to that woman. She had been married five times, and Jesus said the man that she was now living with wasn't her husband. There are a lot of folks that would have ridden her off, wouldn't they? A lot of people, a lot of people would have said, you know what, she, really, she wouldn't be interested. And yet Jesus took the time to reach out to her, and as a result of that, not only did he influence her for good, but she in turn influenced those of her own people. And so, all I'm saying is this. There are a lot of people out there in our world that need Jesus Christ as the Son of God reigning in their lives. And the only way that they're going to hear the truth is through us. You've got to reach out to them. When Paul went to the city of Corinth, he spent 18 months in Corinth. And you can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 about the lives of some of those people. Their lives were scarred and marred by sin. And when Paul got to Corinth, he didn't just write those people off and say, you know what, they wouldn't be interested in the gospel. I mean, these folks are too steeped in a life of sin. They're set in their ways. They're not interested. No, he didn't do that. But rather, he spent 18 months teaching the Word of God with great results. And so, what we have to do is have that same mindset that there are people in our world, every person represents a human soul, every soul invaluable in the eyes of God. If, if there had only been one soul, one person on planet earth in need of redemption, God would have sent his son, wouldn't he? That's how much he loved us. There's a third thing I want to share with you very quickly. We talk about, we talk about our words, our works, but then thirdly, can people see Christ living in me through my ways? I want you to think for a minute about Jesus. When you think about the life of Jesus, a lot of things stands out, stand out. I mentioned just a moment ago, servanthood. But there are some specifics about his life 
that if he lives in me and if he lives in you, then these things ought to be incorporated into our daily lives. First of all, when I think about Jesus, I think about somebody who was interested in the scriptures. Read the New Testament. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have a portrait of Jesus. Four different sketches of the life of Jesus. One gospel record, but from the vantage point of four different inspired writers. One of the things that stands out, one of the things characteristic of Jesus is his usage of the scriptures. Right off the bat, when he is tempted by the devil, three times Jesus would say, it is written. And then in Matthew chapter 19, you remember when people came to him asking, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And do you remember how he answered them? Have you not read? And then what did Jesus do? He took them back to the book of Genesis chapter 2. He said, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning? He goes back to the creation account given by Moses. In Luke, well, in Matthew chapter 22, I think about when the Sadducees approached Jesus on one occasion. And Jesus, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, Jesus said, you are mistaken. You do err not knowing the scriptures. In John chapter 5, Jesus would say, search the scriptures. And so, God's word was a part of his life. When I look at the life of the Apostle Paul, I believe that God's word was a part of his life. When he wrote to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said all scripture, every scripture is inspired of God. And then he said, and is profitable. So if Christ is living in me, then the scriptures are going to be extremely important to me. How am I going to know about Christ? How am I going to know about God? How am I going to know about what God would have me to do in my life if I don't spend time in this book? So when I look at the life of Jesus, I see somebody who was interested in Scripture. And then there's another thing. Jesus spent time in supplication to God, that is, in prayer. Read, if you would, over the coming next few days, the number of scriptures that allude to the prayer life of Jesus. It's amazing how much time Jesus spent in prayer to God. In Mark chapter 1, in verse 35, the Bible tells us that Jesus arose early in the morning, went out to a solitary place, and the Bible says there he prayed. And then in Luke chapter 5, in about verse 16, the Bible speaks of Jesus withdrawing into the wilderness. And he did so to pray. In Luke chapter 6, the Bible talks about Jesus spending the night in prayer to God. So what's the picture? Here's Jesus getting up early in the morning, praying to the Father. Here's Jesus spending the night in prayer to God. And then here's Jesus retreating maybe during the daytime, praying to God. In the shadow of the cross, what was Jesus doing? 
praying to God the Father. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Now, if Christ lives in me and I'm like Christ and I'm trying to live a life like Christ, what does that say about my prayer life? If prayer meant something to Jesus and he spent a lot of time in prayer, which he did, then don't you think that I ought to face the battles of life on my knees, praying to God? You remember the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he said pray without ceasing? That is, you develop a life that is punctuated with prayer. Make it a part of life. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 he said, Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. Philippians chapter 4, in nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication let your requests be made known unto God. So over and over again, we are encouraged to pray to God. And then there's a third thing that stands out. And that has to do with the time that Jesus spent in the synagogue. In Luke chapter 4, we read of Jesus going to Nazareth. In Nazareth... As his custom was, Luke said he went into the synagogue. He stood up to read. They handed him the book of Isaiah from which he read. My point is Jesus spent time in the synagogue, which was a place of worship, was it not? So if I'm going to be like Christ, I know that we're not under the old covenant. We don't honor the Sabbath day, but we do honor the Lord's day the first day of the week. And so if Jesus spent time in worship, don't you think that says it ought to be important to me that I realize the opportunity, the privilege of coming before the throne of God every first day of the week to worship Him? If Jesus were alive on planet Earth today, where do you think He'd be on Sunday? If Jesus resided in Olive Branch, Mississippi, if he were living here, where do you think he'd be on Sunday morning? What about on Sunday night? Where do you think he'd be? What about on Wednesday night? Where do you think the Lord would be? I know where he'd be. He'd be in the services of the church. Now, he's here when we're here. He's here whether we're here or not, according to Matthew chapter 18. So, he set a great example. And all I'm saying to us is we ought to see the importance of coming together for corporate worship and Bible study. I mentioned Jesus. What about Paul? Paul said, Christ lives in me. I have no doubt that when you looked at the life of Paul, when you spent time with him, you would walk away from that guy thinking this, this guy has been absolutely 100% captivated by Jesus Christ. So you look at the life of Paul, and you think, okay, what if Paul were living in Olive Branch today? Let's just say he were living on your street. Sunday morning, where would he be? Sunday night, where would he be? Wednesday night, where would he be? I know where he'd be. He'd be in the services of the church. Why? Because that was his life. So, in closing tonight, I ask the question, can people see Christ living in you. When they listen to your words, can they say, Christ is living in you? When they observe your works, can they say, Christ is living in you? When they 
Take note of your ways, what you're doing spiritually. Can they say Christ lives in you? I would hope and pray so. In a moment, we're going to sing an invitation song. I know sometimes an invitation song can become somewhat routine. And maybe we just go through the motions. But it might be that you're here tonight and Christ is not living in you. You're not a New Testament Christian. Here's what you need to do. You need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. And then the Bible says to repent of your sins, Acts 2, 38. Confess the name of Jesus before others, Matthew 10, 32. Be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. If you'll do that, the Bible assures us God will put you in His body, Acts 2, 47. And then just be faithful, Revelation 2, 10. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a Christian. At one time you could say Christ was living in you. You could say that people could see Christ living in you. But you can't say that today. You can't say it because, you know, to say that would not be true. And so you want to make things right with the loving God. I would encourage you to make it right tonight. John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.